Hi, I'm Sky. And I'm Dom, and together we're part of the Escape the City community. Back in 2010, escaping your corporate career was a pretty fringe idea. But today, thanks to the advances in technologies and shifts in attitude, it's becoming increasingly mainstream. Escape is a movement of people who believe that life is too short to do work that doesn't matter to you, and that doing something different is possible. We are on a mission to help a million people to quit their corporate jobs and find work that matters to them and the world. And we wanted to share the incredible stories of those who have already made their career escapes with you. Welcome to The Escape Artists. I'm just joining the, uh, there we go. Today's escape artist is Billy Quinlan, the co-founder and CEO of sexual wellness startup Furley. I do have a past previous to that, but it's far less interesting. And this is what makes me most exciting as an individual. But I, but I know the escape team because they basically helped me pivot into this more interesting version of myself. And I'm forever grateful for them, which is, you know, why they've dragged me onto this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much. Well, I kind of want to know a little bit more about the backstory, like your pre-escape. I want to explore the pre-escape, like the messy middle, the transition, Mm. and now hopefully good reflections on your journey through that escape. So could you like, just want to, can you give us a start from end of school, university, and like, what did you study? What were you wanting to do early career, all that sort of stuff? Definitely. Um, So I've had four pitches today and they've all said you have the most random career to getting to be a sexual wellness startup founder. (laughs) So I'm just trying to kind of piece together the threads. So I'll take it back to sort of schools. At school, I did a mixture of performing arts and then geography and law. Um, So the humanitarian subjects, um, humanities subjects, not humanitarian, um, humanities subjects. (laughs) And and I loved performing arts. Um, I, it was just, except for singing, I'm absolutely awful at singing. And in my final exam, A-level exam, they made me mime in the background of everyone else. But dance and drama, (laughs) I I know. Can you believe it? I got an A star for miming. Um, but dance and drama, I loved so much. And I kind of had this like fantasy of being an A-list actress and, or working on Broadway and Strictly Come Dancing is still my North Star goal. If anyone's listening and wants to bring me on. (laughs) And, but I was also very good at geography. So I come from a very kind of traditional background. My dad worked in the city. He worked in finance as a broker. My mum was an amazing stay at home mum and then has gone back to work since we've become adults. And their idea of work is that sort of traditional city life and those traditional roles that are much more kind of easy to understand, nothing sort of in the creative industry at all. And I remember being about 17 or 16 and my dad teaching me how to walk effectively through the office (laughs) to like get the attention of like these bankers or something. And I was like, this is weird. Um, (laughs) What was the the strategy, the walking strategy? Yeah. So it was like a very kind of... um, uh, self-assured but slightly sassy walk so that I would be known and then uh, make an entrance it was a bit I mean watching like a 50 year old white man do that and try and pull that off is <laughs> enough to scar you out of doing that for life amazing I've um, never heard of a um being someone being told how to walk through the office that is a first one I like I it I love though. it I like it I want to see it I'm excited to see um, this should I do it now yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay fine I'll sign an offer that I'll just drop the mic yeah, exactly. and, and stroll out <laughs> 
the people around me that I had to sort of seek advice on where do I go with the university and I had this sort of split decision to make came very much from that sort of more traditional route so they all felt that whilst performing arts was kind of fun and great for an A-level it wasn't a career and I should kind of do the geography route which is a good solid university degree and then that will set me up for whatever I possibly wanted to do in life which looking back at that is obviously kind of crazy because it actually gives you no direction at all and actually that's obviously sometimes the hardest part so I did geography and I really hated it actually I loved it at school but I really really didn't get on with it well at uni but did the three years at Southampton and kind of threw myself into all the kind of extra activities and stuff there so I'm a big sailor so I was a part of the sailing committee I was sort of the vice president there and ran the social sex side of it and when I left uni I really didn't know what I was going to do with this really good solid <laughs> degree um, <laughs> that gave me no kind of indication of where I wanted to go at all and so I moved back home and I got a job with an old employer so I used to work as a butcher would you believe it wow. this is my past yeah my like high school kind of Sunday job not often allowed to actually handle the machinery but have <laughs> been locked inside a fridge with some hanging carcasses one too many times <laughs> So um, came out of uni, I was like, that's where I need to go back to work. No, the farmer's son was creating a food line and asked me to come in and kind of support the growth of that. And that was actually really interesting and exciting. There was three of us on the team, so sort of two founders and then myself, and we grew it across Sainsbury's and Selfridges and the co-op. And it was a very kind of exciting period. But it was based in Burnham on Crouch, which is where I'm born. And that's out in Essex on the coast. And after about a year and a half there, I kind of started to get my confidence up. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see where I fit in in the sort of the career world. It's this sort of sales and growth type role. But I really want to be in London. And I was really interested in technology. And this opportunity came up to work with a cybersecurity company. And again, it was the first employee in after the founder. And the goal was to grow the business across the Benelux and the UK and take this US product and bring it over here to market. And so it was, again, a really interesting, very different career area a very different industry but I loved it and it was a really really good fun and I got to go out to the US and spend some time over there with the business and that was the first time I'd really understood the sort of startup ecosystem and the venture capital mm. ecosystem so there is a 35 million series A from wow. Goldman Sachs their first bit of money yeah these these two cool guys 35 mils for your <laughs> cash. first round here I am begging for like two million and they can just like <laughs> get 35 um so, yeah, but it was really exciting to see their growth from being like a team of five to suddenly being a team of 150 wow. and just how quickly they had a slide in their office. And it was kind of very wild and exciting. And I was there for, again, about a year and a half before I was headhunted into an IT consultancy for investment banking. And again, the sort of goal was the same, grow the kind of cybersecurity and backend infrastructure offering within these investment banks. But you know, when you walk into somewhere and you immediately know you're in the wrong place. So I had gone from working in this sort of cybersecurity company in my like leggings and, you know, athleisure before athleisure was cool. I was just lazy <laughs> and never got dressed, but we were like in a small office and it was a lot of like behind the scenes. So no one ever saw what I wore to having to wear that very sort of corporate attire for a classic sort of investment banking organization. And I just felt totally out of place from day one. 
And it was a very male dominated space where there was a clear hierarchy. There were very few women in the office and especially sort of at my level within my role, the women that were there were sort of the EAs, the office manager. And I was explicitly told I wasn't allowed to socialize with them because it would lower my reputation and my standing amongst the sort of more senior sales and, uh, and consultants within the office. Yeah. So it was just a really like, you know, strange environment to operate in. Yeah. And then, slight trigger warning here for your audience, um, I was sexually assaulted in the workplace, so by a senior manager. And he was a mentor of mine. He'd been mentoring me for a few months and then, um, yeah, completely crossed the boundaries. And that had a really detrimental impact on my mental health, as you can imagine. So I really struggled to understand and conceptualize what had happened and make sense of it and know my place in the office and how to operate. And I'd gone from being a very confident, self-assured woman to suddenly being afraid of how I was coming across and whether that would lead to, you know, more incident incidents like this. Um, I was really afraid of my personality. Essentially, I became totally terrified of myself because I believe that I had somehow led myself to this situation and it was my fault. And I think, you know, so many women share that same sentiment mm. when these things happen, they immediately blame themselves and say, what was I doing? And I went from doing my sassy little office walk to kind of, you know, really hiding away. I went from wearing colorful outfits to wearing all black. I stopped socializing with anyone in the office, which was very detrimental to my role being a very social role and all about relationships. I was unable to kind of go to meetings with the clients, which were typically men without a woman partner coming with me. So that, you know, really stalled my growth in the, in, in the company. And my poor dad, I mean, I used to go for lunch with him every day, uh, not every day, every week. And I'd walk in and I'd just look at him and immediately burst out crying and he'd be like I what is going on with you like what's happening and obviously totally unable to communicate and I was really at rock bottom I was at a really 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 bad space and I went and I found Escape the City and this is why I honestly say it was a saving grace for me because I found Escape the City and I'm not quite sure how I came across it probably typing into Google escape the city how do I escape this fucking city <laughs> and the geniusly named escape the city came up um, and I went went along to an event and just was kind of like this is exactly what I need in my life right now I really need a structured way to help me escape this environment because I feel completely stuck mm. and I have no idea how to get out of this and I signed up and I remember talking to Sophie on the first sort of open day just before we started and I completely broke down on her. I kind of shared a little bit about what, what was going on with me and she said, this might not be the right thing for you. You might need therapy or, you know, more sort of support in that way or it could be the right thing for you. So let's just give it a go and we'll monitor it. And if you need something else, you need something else. But you're obviously welcome here and welcome to start. And I just felt so reassured and just so kind of like wrapped up and held and, and that there was going to be a, a way for me to suddenly move through this. And if it wasn't Escape the City, then at least there was going to be a, a direction or, or pointers or support to getting the right help that I needed. And it turned out it was Escape the City and it was everything I needed and more. And that's, yeah, that's how I came to be on the program. And then I can just keep rabbiting on from here <laughs> or you can interject at any point. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> what a... Obviously, hugely traumatic experience. I mean, just for you to, to to try to exist in that environment after something so so awful happened to you. How did you did you speak to people in the company? Did people know? Did anybody support you? 
for about six to eight months, I just didn't say anything. And I very much felt this was, uh, yeah, my fault. And then eventually I kind of plucked up the courage to say something to my manager. And I remember his feedback immediately was, uh, don't, well, don't tell anyone else because this will totally ruin your career and your chances of succeeding in this industry. And then he obviously went away to speak to someone that night. I don't mm. know whether his wife or female colleague <laughs> who'd obviously gave him some <laughs> advice around how to better handle that. And he came in the next day, took me into a room and said, um, I don't think I handled that very well yesterday, Billy. Um, I just have to tell you, it's not your fault. And I was like, um, okay, <laughs> thanks so much for that input. Um, and then he was like, okay, well, let's let's see if we can move you out of this. And so their solution was to send me to New York. That was the solution because mm. they were never going to get rid of the guy as he was, you know, really big revenue generator of the business. So better to just send me to New York. And, um, and the reason I came up actually was because it was part of Escape the City, kind of one of the lessons that we learned on Escape was if you want to move on, try and take back control of where you are and leave on a really positive rather than a negative because that negativity can follow you from job to job. Mm. So try and leave on your terms and try and leave on a positive note. So that's why I kind of bothered to say anything in the first place. And I actually found out that the, the guy was trying to like recruit a lot of women into his team and it just felt horrendous. I just felt like I needed to say something at that point. Yeah. Um, and so then I moved into a secondment within the company into the HR team because I really wanted to start changing some of the policies and use my experience to change the organization a little bit. Nice. And that was a interesting experience. And I remember the woman that I got kind of lumbered with didn't want me in the team. And she was like, who are you? You have no experience. And suddenly I've got to like have you on my team. And I remember she made me do a Myers-Briggs test and she sat me down in this room and she kind of was going through this Myers-Briggs test and she was going through my qualities. It ended with like, and you're an entrepreneur. And that's your result. And I was sitting there thinking, fucking hell, this is so good. Like I am an absolute boss. Like all these qualities that she was saying were like, amazing. I was like, wow, this is so great. And then she turned around to me and she went, I don't want any of these qualities in my team. This does not make a good team member. Oh, and I was like, what? <laughs> but look how great I am. Come on. Literally. Yeah. I was like, you're twisted, honey. Um, and she's since called me, actually. Like, she called me like six months ago. It's like five years later to be like, um, I need your help. And I was like, oh, how the tables are turned. Um, <laughs> Amazing. I love it. But yeah, I did actually leave on my terms in the end. I made an impact and was able to have a really positive ending there and, and change things significantly and kind of leave a mark in that organization in a really positive way. And that was really important for me to having the confidence and self-belief to go off and do whatever it was I was going to do next. And again, this thanks to escape. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to keep dropping it, but it is, but it is that, that, that's only three months. It's mad to think that escape was only a three month program mm. and it, completely changed the direction of my life and my career forever. It was just a, a really special program. Amazing. Oh, that's great to hear. Well, just want to say that we're actually not doing those programs anymore for people who keep on <laughs> oh, thinking God. that it's uh, like, what is this? So I signed up and I got all these e this extra support. Um, this Why are you not doing no, oh, well, it's COVID. Oh. COVID has been well, obviously oh. tricky. Well, tricky whatever business. they put out, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so okay. So you did the you, you did the program because you were kind of in this, suppose, this crisis point in your life where you're thinking, okay, I don't know what I want to do, but I need to do something, mm -hmm. and I need to find some direction ultimately. 
Yeah. And so you, you came on this program. And this wasn't our reason why we wanted to get you onto the, the <laughs> podcast, just to just talk about a, a skate. But I'm so glad you loved yes. it. That makes me so happy. It does. Honestly, it well, yeah, it's a shame you're not doing it anymore, but what you created was really cool. But yeah, okay. They didn't pay me to come on here and promo <laughs> um, <laughs> that program. But when we are promoing again, we will get you on here to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> but I'm right in thinking that you went on to the escape tribe as we called it back then and said like well the career change program was like well, I'm not trying to find some direction and so what was it that kind of whether was there a penny drop moment where you thought I'm going to go and join Zinc? One of the kind of key methodologies here at, at, during the program was if you don't know what you want to do then you need to like start just tasting all of the ice cream flavors you know so get out there and just experiment and just have no expectations on anything you're doing so I really took that to heart and kind of tried a whole spectrum of things. And it's going to sound ridiculous, but I was in such a kind of low point in my life that my kind of self-esteem was so low that even doing certain things that I wanted to do, like wearing a headband that was very colorful, was so far out of my comfort zone in case I got judged or in case someone kind of critiqued me for that. And I was too sensitive to be able to take that critique. I was so afraid of putting myself out there. So, you know, the journey from where I was to where I am now started with like building up enough confidence to wear, to wear a colorful headband. You know, that was like the first step, which is mad. Um, I went, I remember, I remember I went on holiday to Turkey and I wore this headband and I remember sending it back to the tribe and everyone was like, "Woo, but yes, it was like really lean into your interests and just explore them. So one was around dance and like really getting back out there again. So I went to kind of twerking classes and salsa classes and brought all my friends along who absolutely hated all of it, but were there to support me. And I was just kind of getting a flavor of, you know, does this bring me joy? And what interests me about this? I was struggling with IBS at the time because of the sort of depression and anxiety and it really triggered IBS. So I started reading all about poo and gut health. I was like, <laughs> what's interesting about this? And then moving jobs within the company again into sort of the HR department and the learning and development department. And I was like, what's interesting about this? So it was testing all these different areas that brought me some sort of curiosity and then diving into them a bit more thoroughly and the gut health one actually was the one that was most interesting to me because I was trying to kind of overcome the experience and the, and the negative mental health mm. and the systems that are set up to support you just weren't supporting me and I didn't feel they resonated with me and I was really struggling with my IBS so I started reading all about that and I read this amazing book called The Gut Health or something and I remember reading it on so I was dating this guy for like three weeks before we decided to go on holiday together (laughs) and it was like a four day trip and all I was doing was reading this book about poo and just kept telling him all these poo facts and I was like we need to we need to change the way we shit we need to start squatting like and he was like oh my gosh you're so weird and not sexy and this is like a sexy holiday (laughs) and there's me like coming in while he's pooing like you're doing it wrong like this is not good for your gut health and I was super fascinated by it and then I really followed that curiosity and there was this coaching program called the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and it was a one-year coaching course where it really helped you to get into kind of holistic coaching and holistic lifestyle choices and healing through food and so I went on to that and I was really excited so I left escape and joined and you know, six months later, I left my job and was 
still completing this program. And I was kind of halfway through that. And I was coaching a lot of women who were like my pilot women. So I wasn't fully qualified, but I had to take on some clients to kind of get practice. And we were talking obviously about food, but it was very holistic about all these pillars of your life. And I think because of my experience around the sexual trauma, I really opened up a a space to share about sex. So I'd be like, you know, what's going on with sex? What's happening around that? And it was the first time these women had ever been asked that question and given a platform and a space to talk about it. And when you ask a woman about sex in a way that (laughs) makes her feel safe, you can't shut her up. You literally can't shut her up. And, you know, I feel very privileged to have been gifted those stories. But the upsetting thing was just the number of women that have the same experience as me or slightly variations of it or what, you know, much worse or just have very negative relationships to sexuality and kind of felt quite hopeless about that and didn't feel like it was something that could be solved for. And so I was in that intersection of really interested in women's wellness and technology because of my background being in kind of the tech space. I always had these ambitions to be bigger than just myself and so and and to have more of an impact. And I think that at that time there was this fire lit inside me around kind of women's equality and and changing these experiences for women because I was lit up with fury by what had happened to myself. And then coming out the other side of that, looking back at myself and being like, fucking hell, like a man took this year from me in such a horrendous way. And like, I don't want other women to go through that. And I knew that if I did it one-to-one coaching one-to-one, I would only ever be able to scale as big as my hours mm. in a week. So I started to really think about how do you use technology to scale this coaching interaction? How do you, how do you use technology to help more women access the right materials, the right knowledge and the right support to overcome these sexual challenges and move back to a place of pleasure. And that's when zinc landed on my doorstep and it was someone from escape that sent it to me actually. And they said, have you seen this zinc program? And zinc was a six month business builder. And it literally was, how do you solve women's mental health with technology? And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, the synergies. (laughs) Like when you put stuff out into the world, what lands in your lap? And it was their first ever program. Yeah, I was like, this is it. This is the thing for me. And then I opened up their criteria of what they were looking for. And I think Sky, I think, yeah, I mentioned to you possibly (laughs) at the time. And I was like, fuck. I'm never going to get onto this program. Like the, what they're looking for is not me. I don't have the qualifications. I like just don't fit this criteria. And I was really stuck with this moment of this is everything I want. This is, I've never felt more sure about something ever. I know that I could be amazing. I know that I've got the grit and determination and insight and passion. I just don't have the skills, the ninja (laughs) skills as they called them. to do it and I remember speaking to Mark LaRoost and he was like well just blag it (laughs) just make shit up and I was like fuck it I'm gonna and I did (laughs) and you did and I love it so much so you have to you have to tell um Dom and everybody else how you did that because I just love it so much so the assessment criteria was made up of three parts They were looking for three types of people. They were looking for uh, commercial folk who had a lot of sort of business experience, um, designers and sort of UX designers and UI designers, and then technologists. And those were the three criteria. And I'm definitely not a designer. I mean, you should see my life drawing over since lockdown. Like it's horrendous. (laughs) I do not do these women justice. So I'm definitely not that category. And I'm definitely not a technologist. Again, I had never sort of done a line of code. I could barely use an iPhone at this point. So you really didn't fall into that category. And you had to be Um, all three. 
You had to be one of. Okay, you took the first one though. It was more of a limiting belief, but I sort of did, yeah. I sort of fit that criteria. But it was really kind of strict around like what they were looking for within that and and like the level of experience that you had to have. And you had to be a ninja in this. So it was not good enough just to be like okay at it. You had to be like <laughs> I fucking hate when people use the word ninja. Ninja. I'm like yeah. um and so yeah, I spoke to Mark and he was like, Well look, just blag it, just lie. And just say you're a ninja and like really over-exaggerate your examples and get through to the first round. Because once you get through to the first round, then you've got a chance. Because at this point, they're just screening all these um, applications. Right. And you're going to get through and then you're going to have to kind of own up to these things. So you better have something underneath it to give them reason why they should go for you. And so the second round was this video interview And then the third round was this assessment on site and you had to meet everyone and do these sort of collaborative tasks. And I remember being like, okay, if I'm going to do this and I need to be really impressive and there's nothing really impressive about me right now and I have to have a lot of connection to this mission. And so I signed up to go on this retreat, which was around raising money for the Panzai Hospital, which is an amazing organization in, in the Congo, which supports women back into their communities after wartime violence, sexual violence. And you had to raise like two grand or something to get onto it. And so I decided to do a shit ton of cycling and raise all this money for it. And so I did all these hundred mile cycle rides um, and raised a load of money and did sort of these video appeals, which another guy from Escape helped me do. And just thinking back to, you know, being able to put myself out there like that from where I was sort of six months previous was just insane. And I went onto this retreat and it was just in one sense, the most harrowing experience ever. And in the other sense, the most incredible experience ever, because it was all around bringing together a group of 50 women to raise money for this charity. And actually about 45 of the women had been survivors of sexual violence themselves. And that's not including myself in that, you know, they are women survivors of rape. And um, the sharing and the vulnerability was just incredible. And it just opened my eyes again to this totally different world. And actually, when I was thinking of going on to escape, I was thinking of going into it through like a nutrition lens and how do we help women's health through nutrition? And then I went on to this and I was like, this is incredible. And there's so much needed to be done around sexuality and sexual wellness. So that was one piece. So I like did this like charity component and showed that I was like very invested in women's health from that side and women's equality from that side. And then I went on a coding boot camp and I learned to be a front end developer in like <laughs> three months or something. And um, but all before this, the second interview so that I could, you know, talk that, you know, these are all the amazing things that I'm doing. Um, and that really highlighted to me that I should never be a developer. I think I broke two <laughs> laptops with like the frustration of writing code. <laughs> I was only front end, you know, a bit of CSS and HTML. Were you still working at this point? No. So I had left work. So actually one of your questions before, you didn't ask me this, but I've seen the question was around, you know, how did I make that transition? And I did it. How did you make that transition? (laughs) Oh, good question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Through creating my escape fund. Nice. So, Mm. you know, yeah, I had been assaulted and then seven months later started escape and then been through the three months and then seven months later left. So it kind of been a total like 14 months. And when I was on escape, they were like, you know, if you're thinking of a career change, you need to be able to support yourself and you need to create this escape fund. And that completely shifted my narrative of work. So now I was no longer working for someone. I was working for myself and my escape fund. Mm. And so every day I showed up, I was like, yes, 
the mugs, they don't realize that they're paying me <laughs> <laughs> to like escape. Exactly. I love it. That's exactly um, and what it I was did. so cool. It's great. And you're like, it totally changes the dynamic, doesn't it? You're like, ah, you fools. <laughs> so you were, so you were saving for, you had that escape fund. And then how much runway did you give yourself? So I gave myself six months, but I'm very privileged because I was able to move back with mum and dad. Okay. So I gave myself six months. You know, I was actually, you know, I was only 23 or 24 at the time. So I wasn't earning big bucks. Yeah. So saving, you know, a couple of hundred quid a month was quite a big deal. And I think I was actually saving like 600 quid a month. So I was saving a lot of my salary while still living in London. Yeah. Yeah. But then I was able to just save enough that I could sustain myself and move back home. So I just needed like... 400 quid a month to live on really like barely anything to contribute a little bit to food and and the car but I know that that's a very privileged position to be in and they were incredible to let me live there <laughs> they were like god damn it we thought we got rid of you 10 years ago here you are again <laughs> but that's a big step um, to go from like living in London with a, a job that outside externally is successful you knowing that you obviously gone through that trauma and this isn't for you. And then you're like, you're saving and, and basically scrimping around the edges to then have to then basically almost like go back home with your tail between your legs a little bit and think, okay, well, I've just got to do this and regroup and figure out what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Was that a difficult decision to make? It wasn't a difficult decision. It wasn't a difficult decision because I finally felt like I was taking control of my career. Mm. It was challenging to look at all of my friends, seeing them get like promotions and, and be successful, you know, quote unquote yeah. successful in their roles and know that I was yeah moving back home. And then I had have to have that kind of experience of living back with mum and dad again and the impact that, that would have on my sex life. But <laughs> I'm teasing really, but um, they, well, I'm not teasing. My dad found my vibrator in the bed after like <laughs> kindly trying to make it for me. <laughs> And you know what he did? He put it on my, um, he he took it out of the bed and he left it on the step up to my bedroom. And I was like, why did he not just leave it there? Just just showing it out there for everybody to see. Amazing. We never spoke about it. I just came home and saw this vibrator on the step and the the made bed. And I was like, oh my God, that's why you make your bed every morning. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, so that was one of the drawbacks so was, of going back home. But but it, but yeah, I finally felt like I was taking back control of my career. And I just felt very lucky that I actually had that support system to be able to do that. And I knew that it was going to set me up to go somewhere better. So it wasn't it wasn't yeah. um, a difficult decision. It took a while to get to that thinking. You know, there are lots of social narratives that you have to unpack first and like beliefs about where you should be and these kind of social markers and these statuses that you have to reconcile but once I'd reconciled those then it was easy and you know to your point like when I told my boss that I was leaving because there was a period between zinc applications coming out and then actually the course starting which was about six months or four months or something so I told my boss that I was leaving and I knew that I hadn't got the place or the program, but I knew that I was going to get it. I was like, I'm, I'm getting this thing. This is, this is it. This is for me. Um, and I remember him turning around and he said to me, you're an idiot. You're walking away from the earning potential of like 500 grand and in the next five years, annual salary to earn nothing and to kind of pursue this ridiculous dream. So you're very foolish. And I just laughed at him. I was like, God, that's such a sad attitude. Yeah. <laughs> what a sad person you. you are. Yes. What a sad little man you are. <laughs> um, it's not your fault. 
<laughs> and how did people, um, you know, you talk about having to deal with kind of the social norms and unpick all of that stuff. Also, a lot of that is your peers, right? If your mm. peers are all working in city jobs and, and kind of living that lifestyle, what was that like for you telling other people that you were going to do something different? And like, how did people respond? Because I know that can be a huge barrier for people to kind of leave and break free from those norms. Mm. They all thought I was mental. I think they all still think I'm mental um, <laughs> because of my situation. And I, I did actually have a very good group of friends. They knew how like bitterly unhappy I was. And actually they were ready for me to leave a long time before I made the realization that I needed to leave. You know, they were desperate for me to get out of that situation and that environment because they could just see I was really withdrawing from everyone and I was becoming like a very shadow version of myself. So when they sort of saw me go through that career change moment and kind of do the course and they sort of saw me getting back to myself they were really excited they thought I was mental for kind of taking such a different career choice but they were also just incredibly supportive of me moving on from where I was mm. and now that that interpretation of me being crazy has turned off you know they still think I'm crazy but now they they have a real like admiration for what I've achieved and are very inspired by what I've done and it has led to a few of my other friends pursuing different careers and and doing that so I think that we do have these norms but it's amazing how many of us want to be doing something different and it just takes one person to sort of lead the flock and then others can see that there's a route forward so yes it was and it still is you know like I'm earning nothing I run my own company I've raised one and a half million pounds and I'm earning absolute jack shit (laughs) with this like promise of you know being a billionaire one day and that kind of belief or like that distant reward is enough to motivate me at the moment Um, but really it's the impact that I'm having every day in the business that really motivates me but it is challenging when I see friends of mine who you know work half as hard as me don't love their jobs they're just sort of going through the motions and they're earning like four times what I'm earning and you know they're buying like my friend bought a Porsche the other day and I've just like stolen my dad's VW like 2004 thing. I'm like, can I borrow this for a few months? And, you know, they're buying houses and they're getting married and having babies. And I'm like, oof, you've got a lot of financial stability and you've got a real direction and, and um, ladder that you're following. And it's not hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard in different ways, but you haven't got to think about where you're going you're just going up this ladder and you've got a checklist of things that you've got to do to get to the next rung and it's all laid out for you and it's very rewarding in the immediacy you're never going to be wealthy wealthy you're never going to make generational wealth you're never going to really break beyond your social status but that's pretty good you know I you know I come from an affluent background you know I'm definitely come from a privileged community so you know 150 grand is a lot of money and you can have a very nice life if, if you're in a partnership <laughs> and both of you are earning 150K. Yeah. That's 300K combined income. So that's a challenging and it's definitely one that I still have to like reconcile. I like went through a real period of burnout this year and I was like, is it worth it? Mm. Like, what is it for? Why is it worth it? And then you get this email from one of your customers who tells you that they've been using Furley for three months and they've had their first orgasm and sexual experience without having a panic attack in five years. And you're like, yeah, it's worth it. It's amazing. I'm going to ask about like your good idea criteria. And a part of that, I guess, is impact. And you've kind of hinted on what some of them are. What, what were they? So I'm definitely like a very money motivated person. 
I'm not earning right now. And maybe I'm a bit <laughs> kind of psychotic and I think that there's an opportunity to earn loads down the line. But that for me is exciting. Okay. The second one is impact. And that I think has really come from the experience that I lived through that I just want to reach as many women as possible. I really want to have a global impact and create something that is accessible for populations that have been ignored and left out of those systems. And that's global, you know, that's from, you know, women at different socioeconomic statuses within the UK, but also, you know, we have a massive cohort in India. Um, and, you know, being able to really change their narratives and change their level of equality, that really matters to me. So those are the two real things. And then the third one, so impact in terms of like scale, the financial kind of goal at the end of it. And then the third one is around equality. So I'm, you know, incredibly passionate about equality and how do we work to close some of these gender gaps? And I genuinely believe to my core that closing the sexual pleasure gap is fundamental to closing the gender gap because it's not about, are you having good sex? It's about, do you as a woman believe that you have the right to prioritize yourself, Mm. to show up fully as a human and for all of your needs to be met in your most intimate and vulnerable space? And if you believe that, then that cascades into all other areas. If you can ask for what you want and your needs to be met in this really difficult environment, which is this kind of taboo and shameful space of sexuality where women's pleasure isn't prioritized at all, even in the science, we don't really understand women's pleasure still. So if you can understand that and you can ask for it in this very intimate space where his pleasure is often prioritized over your pleasure, and you can get through that most uncomfortable conversation, then you can do anything. And you know that you matter and that your pleasure matters. And then it's easy to say, oh, I need a couple of days off or, you know, I want a pay rise or, (laughs) you know, whatever. Like those things are easy after that. So when you know you matter and your pleasure matters, then I think we start to make strides towards gender equality. And I think it also starts to really change how men see women Mm. as well. So when you first joined Zinc, because you obviously blagged your way on and then they met you and thought, wow, this person's absolutely amazing. We have to have her on the program, which is exactly what they did. Um, (laughs) How did you, you know, obviously you had this interest and curiosity and obviously a passion about um, sexual well-being, particularly, you know, with women and girls all over the place and, and obviously had worked with rape survivors and had the experience yourself. How did you kind of go from that interest and wanting to use technology to actually coming up with the idea for Furley. So when I joined Zinc, the first part of the program is all around making connections, throwing around ideas and just testing uh, whether you can work with these people. So it's kind of like relationship matching. And I remember on the first day, this like crazy curly haired Canadian woman stepped up to the mic and introduced herself. And I was like, this bird is mad and I love her she's great um she's like this crazy scientist that her mind just like pinged all over the place and she had so much energy and I just thought she is fantastic and I was just obsessed with her mind I was like her mind is just so interesting in the way that she works and she's so different to me she's like an academic really intellectual and I was just yeah blown away by her but they kept saying on the program you know like don't build a business with your friends you don't have to like each other like really test out these different dynamics so at first I was like well I can't build a business with this woman because I just love her so much you know (laughs) we met for like a day and I think she's amazing so we've tested out a lot of these 
different relationships to really understand the values, how we work together, are there skills synergies, are you know, are you different enough to add value to each other? What do you want to work on? And I explored a lot of different topics in that period um, with a lot of different individuals. But Anna and I just kept coming back together. Um and we kept working so effectively together because we're really different. I'm incredibly like linear, very action orientated, really like drive things on. And then she balances me with being much more considered, very intellectual. Her brain thinks in this sort of like web-like way. And so she comes up with all these weird and wonderful ideas. And then I translate that into something actionable and we then take that forward and drive it forward. And we were just incredibly dynamic as a pair. So we kept coming back together and actually we were working we didn't know that we were going to work on sex but we were sort of floating these ideas around and then she shared her experience and I shared my experience and we really connected on that level around our insight around sexual difficulties and and women's experience trying to get the support they need to come back to a place of pleasure and ultimately we were just like two angry feminists slamming <laughs> our fists on the floor being like the world is so unequal and fuck the boys and like let's go and do it no not fuck the boys fuck the patriarchy um because there's some good boys out there Dom, i'm sure you're one of them <laughs> <laughs> and at first our insight was you know women are massively disconnected from their bodies and masturbation is seen as very shameful and um in order to kind of get more pleasure you need to feel comfortable exploring your body and getting to know what you like we were having a lot of conversation with women who kept just saying that good sex was when a man knew what he was doing and you're like how can you pass off all of your pleasure to someone that doesn't know your body you know Mm -hmm. if you're having a one-night stand or you're getting into a new relationship and you're expecting them to understand your pleasure and your orgasms and how your body works we can't just rely on them having that information. Like we need to take control of that and be able to guide and and kind of move them around in the right way. (laughs) And so for us, it was like, okay, we need to just help women masturbate more. What we need to do then is we need to create better porn because the porn is just a bit icky and makes most of us feel a bit gross after watching it. So let's create some really amazing erotica and then let's give women back the power and so we created this we were also working with this engineer at the time who was like an absolute genius but he was like really into natural language processing nlp what is it natural linguistic programming basically voice tech and he was like right yes i love this what we can do is we can create this chat bot which (laughs) tells you the story and then checks in with you and asks you if you want to like continue and then you have to like be like yes so then we created this chat bot that was like blah, 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 sexy, sexy story. Would you like me to continue? And then you had to be like, yes, I'd like you to continue. (laughs) It would be like, ooh, sexy, sexy, sexy. Does this feel good for you? Yes, this feels good for me. (laughs) And women were like, "Um, this is really weird. (laughs) Because I'm like talking to this AI bot thing. And, you know, what if I'm trying to explore my body and like my partner's downstairs or I'm in a flat share in London and all they're hearing is like, yes, yes, it feels good. Continue. Continue. Next level, please. Yes. Faster. Thank you. No, I said faster. Faster. Um, so that was, that was a uh, fairly V1. And uh, we quickly moved on to V2 because we realised, you know, no one wants to do that. That's, <laughs> that is quite out of reach. 
Tell me about the app. How, how does it work? So today is very different than than that. <laughs> so we have really moved much more to a health tech product today. So we focus on women that struggle with sexual difficulties. So this is 51% of the population, female population. And it includes things like an inability to orgasm, low libido, sexual anxiety or pain during sex. And that statistic is probably low. It's probably much higher than that. But 51% of women express distress about that. And to put that into context, only 25% of men struggle with sexual dysfunctions. Yet there's such a kind of a limited understanding about female sexual difficulties versus male sexual difficulties. And we've got a multi-billion dollar industry mm. behind male sexual dysfunctions because apparently erection, you know, premature ejaculation or <laughs> erections are more important than women's having a good time because we can still have sex even if it's horrendous. But you can't have sex if you don't have an, uh, a boner. So we've really prioritized that male functioning. And now we're starting to really understand female sexual difficulties a bit more and what the interventions and protocols are to helping women overcome those difficulties. And I say often it is a mind fuck because we are a bit more complicated. It doesn't mean that we are less sexual. It doesn't mean that we have lower desire. It just means that it operates differently. And we've been operating through a male lens. And so we've not been doing women's like justice. So the app today there's sort of three components to it. We call our heal, our maintain and our transform chapters of the app. And if you come in, you move into the heal phase. It's a 12 week program that helps you overcome your initial sexual difficulty. It's made up of kind of the theory and the science of sex. So really empowering you through knowledge and giving you that insight that we've never been taught about our sexual functioning. And then it gives you these guided practices. So it takes a very somatic approach to helping you reconnect with your body and your mind in a very kind of embodied way the scientific bit is the most valuable like the women get the biggest aha moments and suddenly feel seen and heard and like recognized and they're like wow it makes total sense now and i'm not broken it's just i we just didn't know this about ourselves Mm -hmm. or about the science of sex and so that's the sort of first eight weeks and you can go through that guided or unguided so unguided is just you go through it in your own timeline guided as you join a weekly discussion group with a cohort of women who are going through it at the same pace as you. And so we leverage kind of peer-to-peer learning and this facilitated group experience and women can share their reflections and share their experiences. And that is the most powerful part of the app. Like women get so much value from being able to hear from other women because the number one question we get asked all the time is, am I normal? Mm. And the only way to really show there's no such thing as normal is by showing a diverse range of experiences. So that's the first element. That's the heal element. And then you move into sort of the maintenance area, which is about then building habits and behaviors that support your sexual wellness. And so this is things like building a regular masturbation practice and connecting regularly with your body through kind of central breath work or guided practices of exploration. And that is just really helping you just get comfortable seeing yourself as a sexual being and, and really exploring your body and slowing down a little bit, being much more mindful about your interaction with sex. And so it stops becoming just this physical act that we do that's just about penetration and getting to an orgasm. And it becomes much more about helping you kind of feel relaxed, feeling calm, feeling embodied between your mind and your and your body. And we do this through these sort of central stories and these guided practices. And the thing is like you can take someone through an eight week or 12 week program, but that's not you're not fixed at the end of that. You know, that's just the beginning to understand your journey. And then you have to continue those practices. And then the transform phase. So maybe you want to go deeper on certain topics. 
You want to become a really good communicator to improve your relationship. You want to develop, develop an erotic mindset so that you can flirt confidently and, and feel confident going out dating as a single woman. You want to learn how to overcome your sort of disordered eating and relationship with foods so that you can have a much better relationship with your body so you can start to feel good and sexy again. And so that's how the app works. It's all audio content um, and it's been co-created with the world's best academics and practitioners in the space who have clinically validated these protocols and are working already, you know, one-to-one with patients and we're just scaling that. So that's how it, that's how that works. Amazing. And how, like, how's it all going as like from a business and progress perspective? Yeah, it's going well. So we launched in 2019, we raised a really big pre-seed round. So we did a 1.5 million pre-seed round from some amazing investors including some really cool angels like the founder of Calm, the original CMO of Spotify. She was sort of the fourth employee there and, and really took it to the brand it is today. So that was early 2019. And then we that was pre-product. You know, we didn't even have anything in market then. It was just an idea. And that, I think, really speaks to sort of the zeitgeist of the moment around female pleasure and sexual wellness. Mm. There was just a real excitement about getting into that space. And we were sort of the market leader there, one of the first to market. And then we have had over 250,000 women use the app today. They've taken over 10 and a half million actions within the app. We're in 210 countries. We've averaged 35% month over month growth this year since becoming a paid product, which is really cool. And our NPS score, so our net promoter score is really high. So we get an incredible feedback from the women using it. And yeah, the efficacy is is really profound as well. Like the ability to actually change health outcomes across what we measure is is are really strong. So the product is performing from a efficacy point of view, it's performing from a, a retention and engagement point of view, and we've been able to kind of scale it today. So now we're raising more money <laughs> so to really take that to the next level. And I'm in the throes of that at the moment. But it's been fun, but, it's, but it definitely has come with its challenges. So, you know, we've been a team of three then we were a team of eight then we were a team of two because we moved to the u.s and we let go of everyone then covid hit so we literally were in the u.s for six weeks i mean my co-founder never even made it and then we scaled back up to a team of eight and then back down to six so it's come with its challenges but yeah we're still smiling just about um and it's been fun and it's been a wild ride and it is like lovely to kind of reflect on where I was in 2016 versus where I am in 2021 and what we've kind of achieved as a company since since then and what I have achieved personally since making that career switch as well. Well, it's a, it's really strikes me because that's only five years ago, two of which have been pandemic. So you also have to take that mm. into So really, it's only been, you know, three years. How much transition and how much change? That's such an amazing journey in such a short amount of time, really. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes I feel like it's no time at all. And then sometimes I'm like, wow, Mm. five years, (laughs) half a decade. We've been doing this kind of transition. It is a long time. Yeah. Does it feel like a long time? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Um, You know, when I think that we started Zinc in 2017, and I always talk about Furley really launching in 2019, and I kind of discount that period before. In, in Furley's journey, definitely not in my own journey. But when I think about that, I'm like, that's so long ago. <laughs> and I think as well, because of the world that we're in, you know, we're a venture backed business and the scale and the speed at which some of these companies mm. grow. I mean, 
look at Hopin, for example, yeah. I mean, Hopin, the events platform, they went from two, two or three people to a multi-billion dollar business in basically 12 months. And, you know, you have ventured capitalists telling you, you get to this stage in three years, 19, 20, 21, two years, and it's slow. And you're like, wow. Mm. <laughs> so sometimes it feels like a very long time. And then sometimes it feels, yeah, like incredibly quick. Um, mm. Yeah. So I guess it depends who you're like pitting yourself against. Yeah, definitely. We launched in 2010 and so many people have come and gone since then. I, I look at people who've just might have been on this massive, crazy trajectory. They started their business in 2020. You know, what the yeah. heck? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was like, that was, that I was, that literally was last week. And, <laughs> and they are, um, and they're so much further ahead than we were. And I've been here like, grinding away for 12 years. And you think, what, this is not fair. And, and where are you now with your own, relative to your own measure of success? Definitely financially below. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely an area that I do have to reconcile often and hopefully with this next round, I'll be a little bit closer to where I want to be to feel comfortable. But in terms of my kind of personal development and growth, we had a coach um, who recently passed away through cancer, unfortunately, but she was an incredible coach for sort of two years and really helped us reflect and remind us of the stratospheric growth that we've been on as individuals. And you have to constantly stop and check and check in with that. And, you know, five years is a long time, but would I have been able to achieve what I've achieved as an individual and as a person and as a leader in five years if I had stayed in my job on that trajectory no I don't think I would have you know the opportunities and the experiences and the highs and the lows I've had to navigate are way bigger than what I would have had to or been able to achieve working in a more traditional route so for that I am definitely like I feel like I've learned and grown so much I'm really proud of who I'm becoming and I definitely don't get it right all the time but I've got to a point now where I can recognize those kind of mishaps and check in with myself and figure out how I would do something differently and so that's quite a big shift for me as well and then in an impact point of view yeah I feel like you know we've we've like helped 250,000 women and amazing you know we're in 200 it's, that is really cool and you know we set out and we said if we can help one woman mm. we'd be really happy like the fact that we've personally built something that helps one woman change her life and we've helped thousands of women change their lives okay i've got a question which is um so for you, obviously, having look, looking back at your kind of journey, and obviously you've taken part in lots of courses and obviously been super proactive about everything that you've done. But there are a lot of people who are afraid to do that and to make a change. And they kind of sit in that kind of analysis paralysis for a really long mm. time. What advice would you give to somebody who is wanting to do something else, wanting to start their own thing, wanting to do something different? It's really hard because the easiest thing to say is just start. Mm. <laughs> um, but that is the hardest first step in a lot of instances. You know, I mentor a few women now who are thinking about starting and there is often that paralysis of that first step and that perfectionism. So not wanting to put anything out there that is less than perfect. And with them, I think the same advice that I followed was just remove expectation 
from it being the thing and put a few different things mm. out there and test the waters across a few different areas because then it removes the sort of expectation this one thing has to be the thing. So I think starting when you're still in something that's secure that still makes you feel safe is great because it doesn't feel so weighted and then starting a few little different things by just throwing ideas at the wall and it doesn't even have to be ideas you know for me it was taking on a new hobby Mm. whether that be you know twerking which you know (laughs) should definitely not do or coding you know totally different but just being like okay I'm going to commit myself to this thing for six weeks I'm going to commit myself to this thing for four weeks and just see what it brings about and just follow that curiosity I think is um, one way to get going with it and also I think one of the biggest things certainly that I found is that when you know that you want to do something different but you're in a job that's leaving you feeling massively demotivated or kind of sucking your creativity from you you're never going to be able to start that thing because you get home every evening and you might get home at five o'clock and have like five hours before you go to bed, but you're mentally drained, you're mentally exhausted. So how do you start to bring some of that joy and excitement back into your life to re-energize you so that on the weekend or in the evening, you can do that again? And that might be, you know, going to a life drawing class after work if you love drawing and that gives you feeling inspired suddenly and then you've got an hour at home that you can work with that you've got that inspiration energy Mm. so what is it that how do you start to bring joy back into your life that then fuels creativity that you can then use that energy because if you're just hoping that that kind of energy will come from brute force it often won't so I think those are my key tips nice I love it (laughs) the multipliers the things that multiply your energy it's such a Mm. it's they're always the first thing to go when people are stressed as well and it's like they're the last thing that should go because that space is what keeps you going final question from me would be so your good idea criteria was money impact and equality yes I got those right right yeah (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) Where are you with those? Impact, uh, we're at about 0.04% from where we want to be. 250,000 people. That sounds like you're having that impact. Maybe I feel like you're being modest there. 80 million women in the US and the UK struggle with sexual difficulties. Mm. So, you know, going for the full 80. And going for the full 80. (laughs) And even if we went for the women that were most acute, that's 12 million women. So, and that's just the US and the UK. So, um, you know, we are having impact, but it's low right now for where we want to be. Equality, again, this is that's quite hard to measure, but I would say of the women that we're working with, if I was to say, you know, what have we been able to change that for the women that have used the product rather mm. than all women out there in the world? I would, I would feel really happy with the progress we've made across that one because I feel like we are having a dent there. And then money, I mean... <sighs> <laughs> oh money yeah but i've also got a very amazing partner who is able to pay a bit more to make us have a little bit more fun because i think otherwise we'd be quite constrained is this the poo poo chap not the poo chap oh he didn't last (laughs) no 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 that's a good test. He didn't, he didn't like the poo. It's a great <laughs> test. Yeah. The new one loves the poo chat. So uh, he's, he's a keeper. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, Billy, that, I mean, I, I've heard so much about you from so many people who've done the programs and, and you've helped us out with so many events. I know subsequently. So 
Thank you for coming on the podcast. What did I say to the team earlier? I said, oh, we're going to interview Billy. And I was really excited about it. I said, oh, Billy is just such a legend, such a hero. What, what other, what other <laughs> Some things? Sort of Some other really nice that. compliment about you. She's just such a badass. Oh, badass. I said, Billy is such mm, a badass. And I think that so much. I mean, you've been through something that is really horrible and traumatic that so many women experience and don't have the, whether it's the support systems or somebody else to help them build up their confidence and just seeing you and your journey going from having that and, and making meaning out of that trauma into something that's really impacting and supporting other people that are going through that is just such a gift. I feel personally feel just so inspired by you and your energy and, and what you're doing. So just thanks for being a badass. Badass Billy. <laughs> That's going to be my uh, tombstone. Um, <laughs> I already said it at the beginning, you know, escape was the catalyst for everything that I've been able to achieve here. And so my success is as much your success. You know, the impact Aww. that I've been able to have across the world is because of what you created. And I will be forever indebted to escape the city. Um, and I'll always be a massive supporter and a fan. So, you know, what I find really comforting is when I hear the stories of women that we've impacted. And I, and I hope that you know just the impact that you have had on my life. Thank you both, because I do mean that from the bottom of my heart. Badass Billy. Badass Billy. <laughs> we'll get, we're going to get you a T-shirt. We're going to get you a T-shirt. It's coming in the mail. Just wait. What an amazing story Billy has. She's such a firecracker and I just love all of the things that she's done to get herself to where she is today. So good to catch up with Billy. What an incredible story. For me, Billy just epitomizes what escape is all about. Leaving a job, forging a new path, hustling it, taking the risk, going down the road less traveled, really in search of doing work that matters to her and the world. And she's doing it and she's on that roller coaster. And I'm inspired and I hope others are too. And finally, if you ever fancy escaping at all, we've got some pretty unique, non-scientific, general opportunities to go and work in Antarctica for the season. You can find all the details and more on the site, www.escapethecity.org. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Next week on the podcast. I kind of nervously explain that I'm starting a new service where we're going to crowdfund training for homeless people and support them into jobs. And... Um, you know, would he like to be the first person using the service? Founder of Homeless Social Enterprise Beam, Alex Stephanie. He looks very sceptical and he just says, can I ask a question? I go, sure. He goes, why would anyone help me? <laughs>